I'll be uh, I'll be brief. Um, I had the privilege of hearing Pastor Doug about three years ago at an Acquire the Fire event, which is a weekend-long youth rally, and he and his wife Lisa would um, they would each take a city because Acquire the Fire events were going on simultaneously, like two cities at a time, I guess, and. And while the teenagers were all um, you know, listening to uh, uh, worshiping and, and watching skits and, and uh, hearing messages in the arena, there were uh, breakout sessions where they would call all the parents out and all the youth leaders out. And uh, uh, Pastor Doug and, and Lisa, uh, one of them would be taking over those uh, parent sessions. And I was just really blessed by everything I heard. Uh, the first year, I heard Pastor Doug. The second year, we went to San Antonio, and I heard uh, his wife, Lisa, and they were both phenomenal. And then this last year, we were fortunate they moved an event to Austin, and uh, that was great. And uh, Doug was there ministering, and uh, it's just a really, really good time. So uh, everything that I've heard him share has been very timely, and uh, just uh, thought it would be fantastic if we had the privilege of, of having him come here and share some of those things with us. Take it away, brother. Thank you, Alan. What a thrill it is here to, uh, to be with you here in Texas. And my name is Doug Cherry, and I'm passionate about parenting. And I'm really excited to be able to come down here and really focus on, on what I really feel like I have that comes really out of my innermost man, and that is to help people to raise up children that are world changers. And so thanks for having me. It's just a thrill to be here and excited about having a chance to talk about some of the things that um, I believe God's revealed to me. I want to say up front, I'm, I'm no expert. I'm just getting lots of practice. And so thanks for letting me come and share some of the things that I've learned. I know you guys have got your stories too. We're all learning. God's got a great plan for us. And our ministry is called Frontline Families. And our, our vision statement is taking background and building frontline families. We know that uh, if you're involved in the church, you see people that most people have lost some ground. They've had some ground taken, and who usually tries to take ground from us? The enemy. Yeah, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and so most every human being knows that there's some ground to be taken back, and in the area of family especially, because whenever we bring hurting and broken people together, then if we don't get the grace of God, we have just a great big hurting and broken family but God's plan is that we take all that ground back he said he calls us always causes us to triumph in Christ and so we're just passionate about helping people to find God's kingdom plan for their families and to go out and to step into their front line when I say front line what do you think of war you think of battle and you think of what you think of going out and in, in, in the the place where the battle is the strongest you think about taking ground and advancing and we know that that's what God's call is for our families is that as families we would be out on the front line of the ministry that God has for our families bringing in the kingdom bearing the fruit that Jesus spoke of and like he spoke in John 15 when he said if my word abides in you and you abide in me then you will bear much fruit and by this the Father will be glorified and man isn't it awesome to glorify the Father and to do so by bringing fruit. So our passion is to help families to take that ground back and then to get out on that front line. And when you go to the front line, you know you're going to get shot at. 
but it's a great thing to be out advancing the kingdom rather than just staying back in the mass unit or staying in training all your life. And so we're just thrilled to have that opportunity to do that and be a part. We also have a church back in Carbondale, Illinois. It's called Victory Dream Center, and our theme of our church is You Can Dream Again. And we reach out to the most hurting people in our community. I don't know if any of you heard of Dream Center movement across America that's going on where uh, churches raise up specific outreaches to hurting areas in their community. And that's really our passion. And we've been doing that for many years now since we started the church about 17 years ago. And we have, uh, we've tapped into a, a great source of food that lets us be able to feed people in our community and not only feed them physically, but when they come in, to be able to feed them spiritually as well. We give away about 10,000 pounds of food every week. I think in the last five years, two and a half million pounds of food. And, you know, it's great when you get to walk into what God has really called you to do. I was just telling David at dinner, when we were out in Tulsa uh, back in the 90s, God had sent us out there for a season of ministry training. And we thought he was calling us to come back to Carbondale, Illinois. But we were struggling to, to really determine if that was really God's voice or not. And we struggled with that. And I was telling Dave that one morning I got up and I heard the Lord say, Listen, I can bless you in Tulsa. But everything that you need to do everything I've called you to do has already been set in place in southern Illinois. I said, I'm going. And following the call of God is one of the greatest opportunities we have because we know that Paul said that faithful is he who called us and he will bring it to pass. So we're just thrilled about that. Let me introduce you to my family here. And my wife always says, don't show people a picture of the family too soon. They'll think you're crazy. <laughs> and you know... I think we're crazy, so I guess it's okay for you to think we're crazy because neither my wife or I grew up in a home with a lot of kids. Both of us had one sister, and yet somehow we've produced this by God's grace. And so those are my 10 kids, and as well as my uh, incredible son-in-law. I'm going to talk about him in a little bit, and my daughter-in-law, and a few grandbabies along the way too. There's my youngest, Josiah, and I know that Josiah came along as, as, I think, the last one, unless we have an Abraham-Sarah experience, and came along really to, to teach me some things that God really kind of wanted to wrap up with me, and, and Josiah is such a blessing. He came running in here uh, a while back, and he was screaming as he came down the hallway. Now, there's lots of screaming that goes on in my house. By the way, I have five teenagers in the house right now, and so it's an exciting place. I was telling Dave, I just added our sixth car to our auto insurance policy, and so our, our uh, insurance agent just loves the cherries. And the, uh, the head of our water district, every time I see him, he says, Man, Doug, you're the best customer we've got. I've done everything I can to try to limit the girls to, you know, only a two- or three-minute shower, but finally I just gave in. Can't, can't do that. But uh, it's awesome having a big family and, and just being able to see what God can do. But Josiah comes running down the hallway the other day, and he's just screaming at the top of his voice, Dad, Dad, you're not going to believe it. Ethan, Ethan's 14. Ethan just threw a ball at me just for no reason at all, and he hit me right here. When he put his hands over his chest, he looked down and realized he was wearing his Christmas present. Have you ever seen one of these little Christmas presents you can buy and you put a little vest on and it's a Velcro Target? So he's wearing a Target. Well, Ethan's going to take any excuse he can to throw anything he can at any of his brothers and sisters. And so it's kind of hard to feel sorry for Ethan for wearing a Target. But you know, the picture of that to me is that our children and our families were Targets right now. Satan hates godly families 
he despises godly seed. He despises it. How do we know how, how much Satan hates godly seed? How can we see that in the scriptures? What? Yeah, steal, kill, and destroy. And remember that when God was ready to bring up a deliverer, boy, we could use some deliverers right now. I believe they're coming up right out of our families, our homes, our churches, and our communities. That when God was ready to bring up a deliverer to deliver his people out of Egypt, he sent who? Moses. But whenever Pharaoh got wind of what was going on, then he issued a decree. That wasn't Pharaoh. Satan knew what was going on, and he didn't want that godly seed, that deliverer to rise up. And then when did it happen again later on? Remember when Christ was about to be born. And the wise men went, and uh, they spoke to Herod that God's sending the Messiah, the deliverer. And so Herod, under the influence of Satan, says, kill every child that's under two years old that comes out of Bethlehem. And so we know that Satan doesn't want godly seed, but God's plan and his purpose for our families is to raise those children that are going to change the earth. You know, we've kind of lost sight as for what marriage is really all about. As a matter of fact, Time Magazine had an issue recently about the new freedom. The new freedom, and it showed a man and a woman laying on a beach. And it's marriage without children. Marriage without children. Now, how many of you, how many of your parents here first? Raise your hand if you're a parent. How many would say life could be a little easier without those kids? <laughs> and the retirement account could be quite a bit larger without them also. But in Malachi chapter 2, uh, the prophet Malachi speaks the word of the Lord. And he says, why did God make the two one? Because he desires a godly seed. Wow. He wants that godly seed seed. And I want to talk about that seed a little bit today as we go on. I'll show you just a couple more pictures here. Actually, let me say just another word. My son, um, Nathan here, he, um, he really pastors our church more than I do. And he's down there and runs it full time and, and his wife with him. And my lovely wife, Lisa, right there, the mother of 10 children, one at a time. And uh, just uh, a... <laughs> And just an awesome family. Kaylin, my daughter, I'm going to talk a little bit about Kaylin tonight. Somebody said, have all your kids been easy? Kaylin was not easy. Kaylin just, well, Kaylin's what's made me bald, I think. <laughs> and yet, uh, right now, she's just, I can't talk about her without tearing up. The passion and heart that she has for the Lord and uh, running our children's ministry and being a wife and mother of these kids. And so it's just a, a blessing that God has allowed us to have. And we continue to learn and to grow as we as we go forth. Uh, tonight, I want to start out, I want to give a couple of, of little things away, too. And did all of you get one of these little cards here? If you'd like to be on our mailing list, I encourage you, did you guys want one of these? Uh, I'd encourage you to fill that out. We'll put you on our mailing list and keep in touch with you. And also, I'm going to give you a little extra motivation because we do like to have people on our mailing list. It gives us more chance to have more influence. That I'm going to draw from your cards. If you fill one out, I'm going to draw one and give a prize away at the end here. And I also brought a couple of prizes here, and uh, I want to give a couple things away. And let's see. Where did I put them? Here they are. First, who can give me a good Bible promise about our kids? Raise your hand if you've got a good Bible promise. For our kids. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, awesome. Give her a hand, everybody. 
I told my daughter Hannah to pack some really nice things. This one's kind of hard even to give away. It's some uh, caramels for you guys to share. All right, how about, let's see. I wanted to give a prize away to whoever's got the most teenagers. I think you're going to win this. Who's got the most teenagers in your house right now? Anybody have, you guys got three? Anybody beat that? That's awesome. Give her a hand for three teenagers in the house. And I'll give you enough to share some packs of M&Ms that you can share with that. All right, I want to know if somebody would admit to us who made a major parenting failure just in the last week. Anybody here made it? Today? Today? <laughs> Are you willing to confess and tell us what happened? Or is that too private? How do I get this off uh, mute? Hello, hello. All right, okay. What kind of fail did you have today? Okay, well... It starts out about Katie, so this is just in this room. <laughs> Katie was having a perfect meltdown, and I was strong. For we about, call those high-speed comma parts back in Illinois. I was strong for about 45 minutes, and then I went in the room, and I was screaming. <laughs> Do you see how I am? <laughs> she said, don't make me like this. I don't like to be like this, as she said. <laughs> oh, that's good. How important that is, being able to do that. Uh, oh, yeah, I got to give you something. I'm going to give you a little book that my wife wrote. We've had so many people who've asked us about how to deal with specific parenting, specific parenting issues. And some of the things I talk about this week will be kind of general, and we'll get down also and talk about some specifics. But uh, my wife wrote this little mini book, and it's got a little. Uh, uh, compact disc with it to help. Do I punish or hug? How many of you? <laughs> how many of you say that's a challenge to know when when does his hand hug and when does his hand strike? You know, and so uh, I want to give that to you, and we'll maybe have some time to talk a little bit about that because we really believe that um, we are able to know those things by the power of the Holy Spirit. So. Anyway, just a couple other family pictures here that I'll show you. There's uh, Josiah learning to ride our dog there. And my daughter Hannah on the bottom right. Hannah is just a jewel. She's 19 years old. And wow, I am praying this week because she's got a guy coming after her right now. And so we are really in prayer about that. I'm going to spend some time this week talking about how to help our children make the second most important decision of their lives. And that's who they marry. And uh, that one is uh, really so deep and dear in my heart because I see so many people who are being able to, they're finding their spouse, you know, in a, God, in a world way rather than a God's way. So we want to spend a little time this week talking about that as well. Hannah, um, we always take some time to pray and have a family uh, vision time at the end of the year to hear what God's calling us to do for the next year. And Hannah came up to me the first week of January. She said, Dad, I believe I heard what God... Uh, wants me to do this year, one of the things. And she said, I believe the Holy Spirit said I'm not to watch any TV or movies all of 2015. Wow. I'm like, whoa, that convicts your dad, you know? But then she kind of smiled. She said, but I'm pretty sure I heard the Holy Spirit say I can watch Cardinal Baseball anytime I want to. <laughs> so there's Hannah with one of her heroes. She is a big Cardinal Baseball fan. <laughs> We're just about an hour and a half from uh, Bush Stadium. And so Hannah is a great Cardinal fan. And so we've just got a, a, a blessed family, like I know that you guys do too, not without challenges and 
issues, and there's a few more of them. And pray for my son, Micah. He just finished his uh, cross-country season and was uh, all conference and all south and now trying to hear the voice of the Lord about where to go to college and what to do and whether to run or not. And I'd like to talk about helping our children make those kind of decisions as well because we know that Psalm 139 says that uh, all the days of our lives are written in God's book before there is one. Isn't that amazing that God's got a day timer and he already has our life planned out and our job is just to find through revelation knowledge God's plan for our lives and how important it is to help our kids that you know say hey dad I want to go out for cheerleading I want to go play on the baseball team I want to do this I want to do that to help them to learn how to be able to know God's plan and his will for their lives and so wow I've got a lot on my agenda for this week and as you can tell I'm a little bit excited about it because like I say I just I love to be able to share the greatness of God tonight our focus is on uh, parenting for a breakthrough parenting for a breakthrough look at somebody and say do you need a breakthrough <laughs> do you need a breakthrough in your parenting and so let's think about that just a minute how many of you could say I could use some breakthroughs in my parenting well I think one of the most important things when we talk about that is what would you consider to be a breakthrough what do you want to break through in what would you like to see happen in your family what would you like to see happen in your children because if we don't really know what our target is then how do we know whether we're hitting it or not and so before we really go anyplace let's think about where do we really want to get tonight or if you're back tomorrow night what's the goal what's the direction what is the real product that you're looking for think about that for a minute and think about how important it is that we really determine that because wouldn't it be terrible to get at the end of our life and be like so many people that we've read about and you hear about that they really worked hard in their life but when they get to the end they find out that they really worked hard to accomplish things that really weren't the most important things and so think about it for a minute what is a breakthrough for you what's the target for your parenting what is your vision the Bible says that without a vision what the people will perish the people will perish I uh, remember back when I was in school learning a little bit about poetry and getting through that English class just as quick as I could but we read some poems and one of them was by a guy you heard of Henry Wadworth Longfellow and he had a, a little poem that I remember and I think about it in our parenting because you know Psalm 127 tells us that our children are like what they're like they're a blessing but they're like arrows in the quiver of a warrior how many times Dave I've had people come up to me while I was having all my kids and say isn't your quiver full and my answer was, oh I had those answers prepared I had to and I say I don't know a warrior who wouldn't want another weapon who wouldn't want another arrow so that he can use that to be able to accomplish the task that that he sets out and so we when we don't have 
a vision, we perish. But think about our kids as arrows. Psalm 112 makes a great promise. It says, How blessed is the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commands, for his children will be mighty in the land. The seed of the righteous are blessed. And so we see our kids as arrows that are to be what? Mighty in the land. But according to whose standards? Because there's more than one standard in the world. It's interesting when you talk to parents about what they can, you can hear their passion for their kids are. What's their passion? And we'd like to think it was all, and we're always just right on track, but it's so easy to be drawn off that track and to get into a vision that's really more of a worldly vision than a godly vision. But we're reminded that Jesus says, what does it profit a man? Somebody finish that. If he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul. And what value has a soul? You ever heard of George Barna? George Barna that does Christian research, powerful man. He's a hero of mine. And uh, matter of fact, if you pull out all my files, you see lots of stuff from George Barna. George Barna did um, a study not too long ago. He's kind of like a Christian pollster, like Gallup, only Christian. And so he did a study recently, and he asked, get this, born-again parents, what's the most important thing for your kids? What's the most important thing for your children? Okay? All right. <laughs> All right? Well, you all are sitting in a church, so you give me some good answers. But Barna narrowed it down to where he asked these people to where he was convinced the people in his poll were born-again believers. Born-again believers. And then he said, okay, born-again believers, you tell me. Write down the four or five most important things. Folks, get this. Seven out of ten of these born-again parents didn't even mention they wanted their children to have a personal relationship with Christ or anything about that. Where's the beef? And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing in our culture right now. And there's a draw. There's a pull. I want my kids to have good grades. I want my kids to get a good job. I want them to have a nice house, a nice retirement plan. I want them to be successful. Well, I believe in prosperity. But I believe the greatest prosperity is when Paul said, I've learned to be content when I got much, and I've learned to be content when I got little. And so what I want to postulate this week is that we consider what John said in 3 John chapter 4. Listen to this. is perhaps a vision statement for us. And, and I'm thinking really maybe just the verse for our week, our theme verse. Everybody say 3 John 4. I'm sorry. I almost said 4-4. There's only one chapter. In. <laughs> 3 John 4. Listen to this. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. To hear my children walking in the truth. Why is walking in the truth so important? Yeah, the direction they go. Jesus said the truth will set you free. Eternally free. And so let's consider parenting for a breakthrough in something that really matters something that's going to last, not just for 10, 20, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, but something that'll last 
eternally. Children that will be mighty in the land. That will be world changers. That won't just squeak their way into heaven, but will take a load of folk with them when they go. <laughs> to bring in, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves. But we're going to have to go against the grain if we're going to make this the goal for our children's lives. I had an auto accident on my date night about four months ago. A guy in a great big four-wheeler. We were both pulled up at a stoplight and it turned green and I didn't go quite fast enough and he hit the gas and, and bumped my car. And so we pulled over, we began to talk and it wasn't much damage. I wasn't sure whether to call the police or not, but went ahead and did and we got to talking and as we talked, we got to talking about family and before that police officer left, this guy pulled me aside and said, can I give you my vision statement for my family? <laughs> Now, I don't know if he was just scheming me so I wouldn't file a claim, but I didn't file a claim. If that's what he was doing, it worked because I got so enamored that this guy had a vision statement. He said, matter of fact, let me pull it out of my wallet. And man, that was inspirational to me. And I want to share with you, my wife and I established a vision statement for our kids 25 years ago. And it's really very simple because we're really pretty simple folks. But our vision statement for our kids is this. When they leave our home, we want them to be able to hear the voice of God and to have a heart to obey it. If they do that, we're going to be at peace and we're going to believe everything else will work its way out. Now, we homeschool our kids and I've talked to some folks around here. I know you guys got a great school here. Some of you homeschool. Some of you send your kids to, to public school. But our heart and our goal is that our kids can hear the voice of God They've got a heart to obey it. But you know what's happened and what's been amazing? Is that even though we take education seriously, we've put this at the heart of raising our kids. We've made this the foundation, the best we know how. And please, while I talk about these things, I want to tell you my dad always told me, he said, don't preach, just testify. <laughs> just tell what God's done in your life. And I just want to share with you that I got, I got some bright kids that have come up through my house. I've got a 24-year-old son that uh, his name is Lucas. And Lucas, where's my fancy little poker here? Lucas is that guy right there. Lucas just uh, graduated uh, from ORU in the MBA department. And when he graduated... Lucas uh, got the Outstanding Business Graduate Student of the Year at ORU. And I really don't believe that it's so much because of his brilliance. I believe that Psalm 119.99 is true. Psalm 119.99, get this. I have more insight than all of my teachers because I meditate on your statutes. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge Colossians 2 says, are hidden in Christ. And you know, thank you, sir. I love those amens. <laughs> and you know, Lucas has a gift. But I've got a daughter, Rebecca. She's 21 now. And I'll never forget, whenever she was in second grade, my wife would call me at the office and say, Rebecca just isn't getting it. What isn't she getting? She's not getting math. Well, what are you on? We're on the numbers system. What, how can she not get the numbers system? Now, I have an accounting degree, and I'm a CPA by 
trade. And so I just said, I did that husband thing, how foolish it was. I said, honey, I'll come home and we'll have that down in about an hour. <laughs> Pride cometh before a fall. So I went home with Rebecca and my wife turned me loose and about half an hour later I walked in and she said, not quite as easy as you thought, was it? And Rebecca could not get ones, tens, and hundreds. She couldn't do it. She couldn't get it in third grade. She couldn't really get it in fourth grade. She couldn't really get it in fifth grade. But we continued to believe, pray, teach, and put the Word of God in her. And three years ago, Rebecca went out to our junior college. We have a junior college to take the entrance exam to go to our junior college. We homeschooled her, so of course we graduated her from high school. <laughs> One of the advantages of homeschooling. I'll never forget being on my knees. Our junior college is like some junior colleges. They'll take just about anybody. But they do have an entrance exam, and I prayed with all my heart for Rebecca to be able to get through it. Folks, Rebecca's in her last class. She went on from John Logan to Liberty University. She's doing it all distance. She's about to graduate with high honors from Liberty University. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I'm not about to sit down with her to see if she really understands her ones, tens, and hundreds. And so, you know, it's amazing that as we get God's heart for our family and our children, it's amazing what he can do with that supernaturally being able to bring our children on to the call of God on their lives if we're willing to let him do so. And so I just want to give that testimony to the Lord that if we'll catch the right vision, the vision that God has for our lives, our families, and our children. And um, I, uh, I don't think that means all of our kids have to be in full-time ministry. But I do think it means that they're in full-time ministry, whether they're lawyers, school teachers, pastors, drive garbage trucks, or whatever they do, that their lives are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. When I talk about helping our kids find a, uh, a spouse, we, uh, I'll talk a little bit about how we do that, but one of the things we look for in a spouse is, is someone who, who has the call of God on their lives. They recognize that they're not their own. I want my son and daughter-in-laws to know they're not their own. They were bought with a price. And to know that their lives belong to Jesus Christ. Because whenever our kids are done in this world, I believe that where they've sowed in tears, they're going to reap with shouts of joy. So, I'm going to change direction just a little bit here and get into really the theme of tonight. But having a vision, having God's heart, seeking first the kingdom of God. Father, we just pray that you would lead us and teach us and speak to us tonight. You're an amazing God, and I thank you that I could be speaking about one thing, and you could be bringing revelation to people here about something else. And so I just pray that everyone who's made a special effort to come out tonight, you'd give them something special tonight that would come from above, and not from my mouth or from the knowledge of man, but, Father, that it would come from you. I give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Alan, can, Alan, when I reach in here, Alan probably knows what I'm going to pull out. What am I going to get here, Alan? You know what I always carry, don't you? know me well enough. You know I'm going to pull out this baton. I don't go any place without my baton. And why do I do that, Alan? 
Yeah, because I don't know any better illustration of God's kingdom than a baton. What do you use a baton for? Yeah, running a relay race. And how many people are there usually in a relay race? Four of them. And the first runner, he gets at the starting line, and the starter says, take your marks, get set, bang. And he runs, and as he runs then, he's got the second man on his team or woman that he's going to pass the baton to. And how fast is that person supposed to be going when they get the baton? Full speed. And then they pass off to the third runner. And then the last runner is called the anchor leg. And that's usually supposed to be the fastest runner of all. And you know, a relay race is really one of the most beautiful athletic events in all of sports as those three runners watch and hoping and seeing that that last runner runs across that finish line and wins that gold medal. And it's beautiful when it works. Bill, you got that uh, video clip. Let me get over here and... Uh, I want to show you this little short video clip from the 2008 Olympics in Beijing of our uh, men's and our women's 4x100 relay team. Going into this Olympic, we had never failed to medal since the Olympics started in this event for men and women. And so we had some of the fastest runners and sprinters in the world. And you up there, Bill? Is it working? Wake up, Bill! It's teasing. All right, watch this. Hello, sound. See that baton right there? It's supposed to have some sound, but you don't need any. You can see that. Tyson Gay was the anchor man, one of the fastest men in the world, but the baton never got into Tyson Gay's hand. And the interesting thing was it didn't matter that he was the fastest man in the world. If he didn't have the baton, he was disqualified and so it's beautiful when it works but when it doesn't it makes a horrible sound that speaks disqualified and so what an incredible illustration of the kingdom of God a baton why is that and how do we know that how do we really know that that's the illustration the more I look in the scriptures even after considering this and looking at it for years I continue to find that this is God's heart. Just think about it. Psalm 145 says one generation will declare his praise to another. What is God known as, particularly in the Old Testament? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Grandfather, father, and son. What did God say to Moses as he was bringing his people into the promised land? You're familiar with it, I'm sure. And it's uh, in many places, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, particularly, listen to these words as the Lord speaks to Moses and then Moses to the people. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. These words I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, so forth and so on. And then over in Deuteronomy 11, this one is kind of astounding to me, where Moses says, You know this day... I'm not speaking with your sons 
who have not known, who have not seen the discipline of the Lord or His greatness or His mighty hand and His outstretched arm. What's he mean? I'm not speaking to your sons. And then he goes over in verse 19 and says, You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. Psalm 71 is another of my favorite. I could go on for a long time. I just want to give you a few of these. Listen to Psalm 71, 17. Psalm 71 is subtitled, The Prayer of an Old Man for Deliverance. And in verse 17, this old man says this, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. Amen. You guys are here because we're still declaring God's wondrous deeds. But listen to his prayer. But even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until, in essence, don't let me out of here. You ever tell the Lord that sometimes? God, don't let me leave this world until, and this is this man's prayer, until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to all who are to come. Don't let me out of here until I've done what? Until I've made the handoff of the baton. Not just to our kids, but to this generation as well. I know that I probably don't need to spend a lot of time tonight going through statistics, but I want to show you these right here. The builder generation are my parents, and 65% of them were Bible-believing. 65%, how would you express that in a fraction? About two-thirds. Bible-believing. I mean, they didn't just claim Christianity, but their actions backed it up. But then we dropped the baton when we got to my generation, the boomers, and that got cut almost in half, about 35%. Then there are the busters. Those are who are from about 30 to about 49 or 50, dropped to 16%. These statistics came out seven years ago in Ron Luce's book called A Battle Cry for a, for a Generation. And he projected, according to research, that millennials, our kids, the millennial generation, normally thought between 5 and 30 years old, only 4% of them were true Bible-believing Christians. About 4 out of 100. This didn't take long for this to happen, and really what it is is it's a dropped baton. Every place I go, I try to really make it clear that I don't really think we have a youth crisis in America. We have a parent crisis. We have a parent crisis in America. Kind of reminds me of David, you know, when David had sinned with Bathsheba, and Nathan the prophet was sent by God, and Remember, Nathan went to God and told him, went to David and told him this story. David, you ever hear this story, what happened in your kingdom? It's a true story, he said. And David said, what happened? And David said, there was a rich man. He had all the sheep and cattle he could want, but there was a poor man. He only had one little sheep. But the rich man came and took the sheep of the poor man. Boy, David got mad. He said, who is that man? He must die. Nathan said, you're the man. You're the man. And I believe that that's the message for us as parents today is that it's on our watch that this is happening right here. 
but the encouraging thing about that is if one can put a thousand to flight two can put ten thousand we can do something about this as the church of God I love the story of Jonathan and his shield bearer and remember Jonathan was going along with shield bearer he heard a noise over the edge of the ridge and he looked over there and it was just filled with Philistines and he told his shield bearer he says let's go take him the shield bearer says there's only one of you you know what Jonathan said to him God's not limited to say by one or by many come on somebody say amen even if it is almost eight o'clock at night <laughs> and so you know this isn't to get us discouraged it's to cause us to not faint the promise is if we don't faint we're going to reap but we've got to have the wake-up call that we have got to do something different if we expect our children to come out and to end up different we've got to have a vision and it has to be a priority for us as in making this handoff I am uh, I have a lot of callings on my life I'm called to the nations how many of you are called to the nations by the way raise your hand if you're called to the nations <laughs> he's afraid to put his hand up because he thinks God might send him back to Indonesia or something alright okay alright guys come on great commission go ye you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? I saw that look on your face. You knew I was going to catch you on that. Go ye into all the nations. Who's ye? Believers. So how many of you are called to the nations? All of us are. Maybe not all to travel there, but to pray, to send, to support. So we're called to the nations. So I'm called to the nations. I'm called to my community to reach out, especially to the broken, the homeless. I'm called. We have a youth ministry. We have in our old high school. We've rented out a, a section of our old high school and cut a hole from the room we have right into the gymnasium. Every Wednesday night, we're on our 10th year. We've had almost 5,000 kids come through. We reach out to 6th through 12th graders. We feed them. We play basketball with them. And then we, we preach the uncompromised gospel into their lives and so I'm called to youth ministry as well but I am convinced that the highest calling on my life is to get this baton into my children's hands is to make the handoff to my children so that they can go further than what I've gone in the call of God on their lives and on our family I'm kind of amazed I continue to look how important our seed is to God. Isn't it interesting, the very first thing that God said to man over in Genesis 1, 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then isn't it interesting that when he called out Abraham over in Genesis chapter 12, and he told uh, Abraham, get up out of your country and come on over here. Get out of Haran and come on over here to Canaan and then the first thing that God said to Abram he was still Abram whenever he came over and he was obedient the first thing he said is in verse 7 of chapter 12 he said this the Lord appeared to Abram Abram had made this trip he'd done everything obedience to God and what's the first thing he said God said to Abram to your descendants I'm gonna give this land you see God was looking past Abram to the generations to come and then we always talk about our covenant and the covenant of Abraham and we look at that especially love it in Genesis 3 where Christ became a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles and that we would be under that 
blessing and that covenant. But what was really the blessing to Abraham? We see that over in chapter 15 of Genesis. Whenever it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram saying, Don't fear, Abram, I'm a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. And at that point, you would think Abram would say, Wow, God, I love to be blessed. Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. You know, you got some of those folks around. And so you think Abraham just want to say, Yay, but what was Abram's heart? First thing he said to God when God was giving him the blessing, he said this, Lord, what could you give me because I'm childless? Wow. He's not like those guys on the Time magazine cover, don't burden me with kids. What value is a blessing without a seed to pour it into to carry it on throughout the generations? Man, we could go on and on. I don't have time to do it. But the more I study and look, the more I realize the call of God to make that handoff to that next generation, to be the highest calling in our lives as families, in our churches, of course, is to get that handoff into the next generation. There's children whose parents aren't passing it on. We're called to see that we can pass that on, and our kids can pass that on as well. And so the handoff, and, you know, we're hearing this thing dropped, I think, now faster than ever before. It's not new. One of the greatest drop batons in the history of creation happened back in Judges chapter 2, and the amazing thing is who it happened to, because I know you guys probably, like me, have that little poster or that little thing up in your kitchen out of Joshua chapter 24 that says what? Choose you this day whom you'll serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But look over at Judges chapter 2. I'm going too fast probably for you to look at it, but Judges chapter 2 verse 8. Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in his territory in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. Alright? But listen to verse 10. And all that generation that were gathered to their fathers arose, uh, died as well. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. Joshua, you did so well, except on probably what was the most important thing of all. And then what do we see? More pages in the Bible than anything else that were a result of not making the handoff to the next generation. Up and down, in and out, rebellion after rebellion. Why? Because the failure to make the handoff. Well, here's the place where I get to really be transparent. Is it safe to be transparent around here? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Um, and that is that sometimes people think that my wife and I have been, you know, privileged to go and speak to about 250 different places in the last five or six years because we got this all figured out. But really what opened the door for us to begin this is that we had a near baton drop in our own family. David was asking me at dinner and almost made me pour out my story before I got here. Have you had any challenges, real challenges with your kids? I said, yeah, Dave, show up tonight because I'm going to share went to pay some bills on a Saturday night getting ready to preach the next morning and take a group of people from our church to a, a church conference out in Oklahoma so I'm catching up 
and I'm paying some bills and I open a cell phone bill and my cell phone bill is for $800 at the time we only had one cell phone in the house it's like wow it's got to be a mistake has to be I called my son he was 17 at the time no dad I don't know anything about that called my wife no I don't have any clue called my 15 year old daughter Kaylin I don't have any idea dad I don't have any idea what's going on so I thought it's a mistake but as I began to look through the numbers and I saw a pattern terror started to come over my heart and I went home called my daughter into their bedroom and had to do something I'd never done before beautiful God-loving Sunday school teaching daughter a little bit challenging like to push back but really a God-loving girl and I looked at her and said something I'd never said to her before I said honey I know you're lying as soon as I said that she fell to the floor weeping and I found out that night that a 46 year old man on our worship team had been grooming her to sexually abuse her for the last two years and that night our world just about fell apart I didn't know that one out of every four teenage girls is sexually abused before they're 20 years old one out of every five or six boys now I didn't know what sexual abuse could do to the heart of a teenage girl I want to stop and say this this wasn't Kalen's fault it's never the fault of the victim when there's sexual abuse never and yet in Kalen's stiff neckedness as a teenager she at times I think opened a door that possibly could have been closed but over the next few weeks I saw my precious daughter go into a deep depression she wouldn't come out of her room she wouldn't eat she ran away twice nothing had happened in my home like this before the only time she'd communicate for the next few weeks is that she had a spiral notebook and she'd written on the front in black magic marker the day that Kaylin dies and every day she wrote in it how much she wished she could die because the darkness had come in to try to drive out the light that was in my daughter's life and Satan was not only after her but after my family and after our ministry he just about had us and it was worse than the worst horror movie that I've ever experienced watching my daughter go through that pain and having to sometimes go and break through her door just to see that she was okay but in the middle of that darkness a beam of light shone through from heaven and a few weeks into this I made my way down to my prayer room and if you have a prayer room you go to to pray and I made my way down to my prayer room I'd like to say it's because I was such a strong great man of God but it's just because I was desperate and I was hurting and I was broken and in the midst of this trying to keep my daughter alive and my family alive down in my prayer room that morning I'll never forget I got a word from God and I heard the Lord say to me, 
you're not defeated you're just in a battle now stand up and let's win and it turned my whole perspective around on the situation and I believe that that word that God gave me is perhaps a word for somebody in here as well so let me repeat it you're not defeated you're just in a battle so rise up and win because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world and we walked through some hell on earth for days weeks and months but I had a word from God and a few weeks later he gave me a direct word from the scriptures out of Hebrews chapter 1 3 it says speaking of Jesus he's the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his nature and he upholds all things by the word of his power And God put on my heart I'm going to uphold your daughter by the word of my power and so we held on and we believed and I'd like to tell you some of the details but I don't have much time we took her to two or three counselors we couldn't get any help I looked for any place to, to send her to help or anything that we could do most people said she'll never be the same again because when a teenage girl is sexually abused they never fully recover but I had a word from God that I stood on and over a period of time she'd get a little bit better remember going to my wife one time a little bit into this and saying hon I believe the Lord spoke to me and said Kaylin's going to come through this completely well and she said amen and I said but the second part of what I heard him say it's going to get worse before it gets better and it did and yet God gave us the grace to hang on and never forget as a matter of fact my daughter Kaylin and my wife ended up writing this book as a result of this and my wife writes in the book that six months into this after being back trying to help Kaylin Kaylin was filled with darkness hurting people hurt people let's remember that when our teenagers hurt us that many times they're hurting themselves and they're looking for someone who will love them even if they mistreat them even if they lash out are they going to still love me and I can remember my wife I came home from work saying I tried to help Kaylin today and she just verbally abused me and she said I ran back and threw myself on the bed in tears and a horrible thought came to me I don't feel any love for my 15 year old daughter anymore that's how bad it had gotten in our house and she said it was a terror terrifying thing and she said but the Lord spoke to my heart and said it's gonna be okay I'm gonna love her through you and he did and he continued to let that love come through us for Kaylin but the months went on and Kaylin would improve a little get a little bit worse and I'll never forget about two years almost two years into this and uh, in the meantime as Kaylin would get a little bit stronger a little bit better at least she got out of bed and we were grateful for that and Kaylin began to even be able to come to church with us again we'd had to take turns staying home with Kaylin and uh, Kaylin we found out that one of the side effects of a 
teenage girl being sexually abused is they have a tendency to act out their sexual feelings. You would think they would press them in, but the experts say that they are released in strange ways. And Kalen's way was Kalen dressed more like a prostitute than a pastor's daughter. And it put a lot of pressure on our parenting. And I always thought I would know what to do if I had a 16-year-old who wasn't dressing right. Just straighten them up, right? But she was tender and brittle. I was glad she was alive. And I was surprised that when I met her by the door one time to go to church and I saw what she was wearing, I was thinking, no way. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, let her go. Let her go. And through this whole process, a lot of my pride was broken off. This great father raising this great family. <laughs> and now I have to wonder if anybody still wants me to pastor a church when I have a daughter that's in this kind of shape. But as time went on, I also remember when we all met at the front door by coincidence while we were all headed out to church, and Kaylin was dressed in a similar fashion, and this time I heard the Holy Spirit say, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> That's what I heard him say. Uh-uh-uh. And so we stopped at the front door, all of us there, and I said, guys, we're not going to church today. My youngest said, Daddy, you're the pastor. You have to go to church. <laughs> so we're not going to go to church. I said, no matter what we go through, we're not going to cause other people to stumble. And we're not going to go to church with Kaylin dressed that way. And you know, Kaylin turned around, and she went upstairs, and she changed clothes. And we all went to church, and we had another breakthrough. Well, let me fast forward again. Two years into this, I heard that there was a group coming to our community. It was of young 20-ish, late teens, and they were from Teen Mania Ministries, and I didn't know anything about them. But I said, Kaylin, would you like to go with me? I'm going to go out and hear them. And she said, yes. And we went out there, and we listened to a couple of girls and guys share how God had worked miracles in their lives. And as we walked out of that place, there were just a few people in attendance, not that much more than tonight. And as we walked out, Kaylin looked up, and she said, Dad... They've talked about an internship, and I think I might like to go. I'd been looking all over the country to find a place I could send her to get her fixed. And so I said, honey, your mom and I and you can talk about it and pray about it. But when Kaylin walked out the door of that building, I said, yes, God, yeah! <laughs> and we did pray, and we saved money, and... Kaylin worked to save money and plan, and we sent her to this internship. And I'll never forget dropping her off. It was outside of Dallas, Texas. And I told the uh, chaplain there and the medical people, I said, she's very tender. She's very tender. Please keep an eye on her. And how hard it was to drive away and drive 10 hours back. But we stayed in touch and were in hope and encouraged and Kaylin called seven weeks into the program. She said, Dad, we're going into a fasting retreat. And not only are we not supposed to eat for three days, we can't talk for three days. Can you imagine a teenage girl not talking for three days? <laughs> and uh, she said, you won't be hearing from me. But three days later, I was in my office preparing to go preach. It was a Sunday morning at 7.30, and the phone rang, and it was Kaylin. And she'd been crying. And she said, Dad, you'll never believe what happened. 
Holy Spirit spoke to me and said he'd make a way for me to walk out into the light. But if I didn't come now, I was going to die. Dad, I've recommitted my life to Christ. I want to come home and try to rebuild what I've torn down for the last three years. And then the last thing she said, she said, Dad, I don't want to run away. I want to be given away. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. Amen. For with God, all things are possible. She came home, and she was so much better. She finished her internship. She had to come home three months early for three days because the man that abused her was on trial and she had to testify in front of a jury of 12 people. And uh, it was hard, but it tested the transformation in her life and what God had done stood. And the man was found guilty until he went back for sentencing. We went back to hear his sentence. He'd hired two new attorneys. They'd found a loophole and uh, got him off. And he's still walking the streets, still playing worship music at youth meetings, even after what he did. But you know what? Uh, I forgive him. He did enough damage to my family. I'm not going to let bitterness make it worse. Kaylin came home, and after being home a few months, now being 18 and a half years old, she said, Dad, how are you and I going to find myself a husband at the right time? <laughs> and uh, I said, I don't know, honey, for sure. And she said, well, I'm not ready to find one, but we better start planning because I know God's called me to be married. And she said, how about this, Dad? If anybody, any guys approach me, I'll just have them call you. I said, that sounds pretty good, honey. And we really had work to teach our children to try to find mates in godly fashion and that the world's dating system doesn't usually work and uh, so it wasn't too long before I started getting calls because Kaylin's a beautiful girl and after God set her free she had so much light in her that she looked like the sunshine shining and so I had several guys call and I'd talk with them and usually most of them never bothered to call because when they knew they wanted her to call dad, that took care of them. But one day I got a call from a young man named Adam Waller, and he said, I'd like to come and talk to you about your daughter. And I said, great. Can you come in day after tomorrow? And he came in and sat down. And we began to talk, and I said to Adam, what's your interest in my daughter? And he said, uh, well, uh, Mr. Cherry, he said, I believe there's a call of God on my life, and I believe God's got a wife that together will impact the world. And I said, you and I need to talk, young man. So I met with him over the next three months, every week. I'd go home and talk to Kayla and say, Kaylin, what do you want me to do? Well, what'd you say, Dad? Well, here's what I said. Well, what did he say, Dad? Well, here's what he said. So what do you want me to do? And so together, Kaylin and I and, and her mom and the rest of the family, we put Adam through the grill and <laughs> Adam hung in. And the amazing thing was is that anytime my appointments with Adam would be canceled for some reason, he'd be the one to call back and says. Mr. Cherry, when are we going to meet again? When are we going to meet again? When are we going to meet again? And uh, then he, Kaylin uh, said, okay, Dad, let him take the next step. And so I began to let them spend, you know, time together. It really wasn't my decision. I was helping Kaylin make her decision. And uh, I told Adam after about four months, I said, you know, Adam, I'd never walk the... Uh, 
I'd never want to walk my daughter down the aisle and put her hand in a man's hand for marriage until that man was one of my best friends. And so now I have a son-in-law that's one of my best friends. And uh, God is so awesome. And he's so amazing. I want to wrap up. We just got a few minutes left. And I want to share with you um, what I think are three of the most important keys for making the handoff to the next generation. And I wrote a little book on this that is called Stick. That's what one runner oftentimes shouts to the next when they're ready to make the handoff. Stick! And that's when the hand goes back because you can't look back because you've got to stay between the lanes. But three things that I believe are three of the most important, I'm not saying they're the only ones, but if we're going to make the handoff, the spiritual handoff to the next generation, I think that one of the three most important things is that we have something to hand off. Our kids don't want an old, dead religion. They're looking and they're watching, and they're watching every minute, and they're sharp. It doesn't matter how many times we go to church. How does dad and mom handle things behind closed doors? How do they handle situations in their business? How do they handle situations that really test whether this is just a religion or whether it's the foundation of their lives? They're looking to find out when a problem comes up, is mom going to go to the phone or is she going to go to the throne? And if you have something that's alive and vibrant and real, it's what you draw your joy from and your meaning in life and you have an intimate relationship with the Lord I guarantee you they're going to want what you have because the world has nothing like that to offer. The greatest compliment that I ever got in my life is after Kaylin got home from her internship and she'd been home a few months and we have uh, family devotions in the morning at my house and have, by God's grace, I don't know how we've pulled it off, but by God's grace, he's let us be able to consistently have family devotions and we were walking up to family devotion one morning I was coming up from the basement where I've got up my little prayer closet Kaylin was coming out of her bedroom and as we met to go in there she said dad I want you to know that in the worst of my times in the lowest time when I saw you walk up from the basement and I was in all-out rebellion to you and mom and to God but when I saw you walk up the steps and I saw the tear stain under your eye. I knew you had been with God, and I wanted what you had. I wanted what you had. That wasn't because I'm some kind of a great theologian. It's because I'm, I don't know about you, but I wake up every morning desperate, hurting, and broken. I try not to, but that's how I usually wake up. <laughs> because of the pressures of the world and the situations of life and the accuser of the brethren. But because I met with God, she wanted to meet with God. You know, the best thing about that is that every one of us can have a spiritual revival if we really want one. I'm convinced of that because of the 7,000 promises in the Word of God, I think that to me the most precious one is this. If you seek me, you'll find me.
wow, I made up my mind many years ago that the one thing that would dictate my success spiritually more than anything else is that if I would stay hungry. Because if I'm hungry, I always am satisfied by the presence of God. I have to tell you, not every morning, because I was just thinking on the way up here. I had an incredible spiritual revival when Kalen walked through this and got delivered. For one reason, I got so broken that there wasn't anything of me left. And it allowed God to be able to bring fresh life to me. And yet I was saying, God, that lasted five or six years. The last two or three years, I've been struggling with being a little bit dry. But you know, I've learned this, that if I go in my prayer room one morning and I come out and I don't feel like I met the Lord, you all know what I'm talking about? It's not near as much fun as when I go in there and it's like, I just don't want to come out. It's so good. But I've learned this. If I come out and I haven't really met the Lord, but I sought Him, I just rejoice to know the next morning. <laughs> the next morning, if not that one, the next one. Because why? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And you'll come to me, and I'll answer you, and you'll seek me. And you'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. We can all have a spiritual revival if we want one. There may be a price to pay. Something else might have to go. Number two, I find that if we're going to have a, uh, be able to make this handoff, not only do we have to have something that's alive, it has to be a priority to get it in the hands of our kids. It has to be a priority because they don't always just reach out and say, put it in, Dad. Lay it on me. Preach to me. They don't always do that. It has to be a priority. And what's that mean? That when we sometimes call the kids together to try to pray, I don't care whether it's 10 seconds or 10 minutes or whatever it is, you can be pretty sure all hell's going to try to break loose in your house. <laughs> Somebody say amen. You know? All hell. I've, I've walked out of some of our family devotions and just felt like I'm just glad my kids didn't have tomatoes in their hands because they would have thrown them at me. And I feel ill-equipped to do this. But I know that it's not about me. It's about the power of this word and keeping it alive. Because the other challenge, let's face it, guys, just because we're reading it, just because we're putting it on our walls, doesn't mean that we're getting it. Doesn't mean that. And so... What do we do? We don't give up. We continue to dig because, ta-da, Psalm 57, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And so it's got to be a priority. There's nothing wrong with having a good golf game. There's nothing wrong with getting a promotion. But I just want to tell you, I have no greater joy than this than to see my children walking in the truth, the priority. And the last one, and I won't be able to give due time to it because it's so critical, but I think the third thing, have something that's real. Make it a priority. See that it's God's highest calling to get that spiritual handoff. But thirdly, if we're going to make the handoff, we've got to have the heart of our children. Wow. I can't think of anything 
higher. How important was that to God to make that clear? Well, what's the last verse of the Old Testament? How did God choose to wrap up the Old Testament before we had 400 of what's known as silent years where there wasn't any sign of prophetic words? But the last thing I don't think was an accident. You guys probably know it. Malachi 4, 5. Last two verses of the Old Testament. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Last verse. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I smite the land with a curse. And, you know, when I was a kid, you guys may not be old enough. You probably are old enough. You and me. You and me. To hear on the radio when it was 10 o'clock, what would they say? It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Well, it's 826. It's 826. On a Thursday night, what is it, November the 12th, do you know who has the heart of your children? Somebody has the heart of your children. And I think you can feel it right here, whether it's you or whether it's somebody else. And whoever has their heart will have their destiny. Whoever has their heart. But the good news is that even if you've lost the heart, I lost Kalen's heart and it opened the door for Satan. Kalen was different than my other kids. And this wolf came in and told Kalen, you're the black sheep of the family. You don't fit in. You and I should talk about it together. She was drawn away. And even though it appeared that Kaylin's worst thing was depression, eating disorder, self-mutilation, what really was at the root of it, I'd lost the heart of my daughter. The amazing thing is, five years before this happened, I went to a men's breakfast. Somebody brought a little tape by a guy named Dr. Davis. You know what his message was we listened to that morning? How to capture the heart of a rebel. I was prepared. I hoped to never have to use that message. But it was about a man whose 18-year-old son despised him. The man was very successful in the business world, but he had not invested in his son. The man went for help. He went to a pastor friend. He said, what do I do? And the man said, you have one hope recapture his heart and this man took a leave of absence from his, from his job and he said what I said over my daughter and that is if I only do one thing the rest of my life I will recapture the heart of my child and so I want to encourage you this that if you're not sure that you've got the heart of your children and you may be struggling or maybe you find yourself there at some time, remember this as you feel in your own weakness, how can I do anything about it? That what it says here is, capital I, the Father, will turn the heart of the Father to the children and the heart of the children to the Father. I'm a mess, but God's turned my heart to my kids and he's turned their heart to me. I can go down through their names right now and I can feel the level. Do I have their heart? Do I have their heart? And oftentimes my wife will come to me because we're a team. And oh, I was, 
I wanted to give something away. Do we have any single parents in here? Anybody raising kids by themselves? I wanted to give her a special prize and honor her because how tough that is. But my wife will sometimes come to me and say, you need to lean in toward Ethan. I can just feel he's wondering and wavering and some issues. Lean into him. And immediately that's where I'll put my focus. What do I do? Well, here's some of the things I do. I write my kids little notes. I take them out to lunch. I take them on a camping trip. I do something special. And you know, it doesn't mean that I'm a perfect dad, but what it means to me, bottom line, is this. My kids know they mean more to me than anything else except the father and my wife. They're right there. And so they know that they're secure in that place. Well, let's pray. Let's just go ahead and let's just stand up and we'll wrap up tonight. You guys have, have really blessed me to be able to let me share my testimony of what God's done, some of the things in our family. And I know that uh, what he's done for me, that he wants to do for all those who follow him and bringing our children through. And I've got a lot of parenting left. And I know there'll be a lot of battles. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulations take courage. I've overcome the world. Father, tonight we just come to you and I thank you, Father, that Lord, you have a way for us to navigate through a culture that's gone wild and crazy. And the odds, Father, are stacked against us when we look at the numbers and the statistics. And Father, we pray, Father, that you would move us by your grace and your wisdom to be the parents that you've called us to be. We know it's not about us. It's about Christ in us, who's our hope of glory. I want to pray for you tonight as we wrap up, and I want to pray over these three things. Number one, if you're here and you would just say, Lord, I feel dry. I'm not sure right now that what I have with you is something my kids would see. I need a revival. I need a wake-up. I need your presence. I need my dry religion to become an alive relationship. I need intimacy with you. If you're here and you'd say, you know what, I, I really want to draw nearer to the Lord, not just for my children, but I want to have a personal revival. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you. Just wave at me and say, Pastor Doug, I want to have a revival in my life. Amen. Secondly, I want to pray for you today, tonight if you've felt some conviction to say, you know what, uh, parenting is a priority. It means a lot to me. But I can see that at times I've been drawn away to other things that are going to need to be put aside to make the priority making this handoff. And you've just felt a little conviction about that, and you need God to be able to show you how to do that, not to come under condemnation, but to be able to receive the conviction and then be able to catch God's grace, to be able to focus in and to make that a priority. If that's you, just wave at me and say, pray for me. I just I sense the need to make that a priority. And then finally, I want to pray for you tonight. If down in your gut you're feeling like, I think I may have lost the heart of one of my children, or they might be on the edge, and right now I need the Father to turn my heart, moms and dads, to my child, and to reach out and turn the heart of my child back to me. If you're feeling like you need a little miracle in that area, then just 
wave at me and say, pray for me in that area. I need a restoration. Amen. I like to, to pray for you guys and let you be able. I don't know what you do in your church, but when we uh, feel like the Lord has spoken to our heart, we believe it's good to let people respond by getting out of their seat and coming forward. And so I'd like to pray for you if you raised your hand for any of those three and if you'd be willing to do that as we wrap up. Let's invite you to come up and let's just pray up here over our kids and over our parenting. Fathers, moms and dads are here, Lord God. We don't have a big group tonight, but we just believe that, Father, you've done what you want to do here. And, Father, I just pray for those that have raised their hands, Father, tonight and for those, Lord, that, that need a breakthrough. And, Father, I pray for those, Lord, that need and desire a spiritual awakening in their lives. I just thank you, Father, that, Lord, you're ready to pour out fresh water, living water. You said, Jesus, he who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Father, let this precious daughter of yours experience your presence like she never has before. And let it not only draw her own family, but those that are their friends and their friends to see there's something special. What is it about your mom? What is it about her? And Father, I just pray, Lord Jesus, Father, that that outpouring would come into her life and all those tonight that long for it in this place. We take you at your word. You said if you seek me, you'll find me. And Father, I pray, Lord God, over kids that might be here that, God, they've, their heart has wandered. It's been drawn away. And Father, I pray tonight that you would do a miracle. And I pray that, God, just as tonight you've reminded us, I pray wherever our children are, Father, those that are, are in the fold, those that are tight, and those, God, that, Father, perhaps have, have wandered or are under temptation to wander away and be drawn away by a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a hero, an, an athlete, a um, rock star, um, a high school teacher, Father, we like teachers, coaches, youth pastors. But, Father, we want the heart to be in mom and dad's hands. And so, Father, we just pray you restore those. Do a work by your spirit right now, tonight. And for it, we give you the thanks. And as we pray, we know that we're praying according to your will. And we know that you're hearing us right now. So we know that we have the requests that we've made according to your word give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming out. And Oh, if you turn your little sheet in, I'm going to draw and give away um, one of our